I had to come to terms with the idea that, you know, I'm 42 and I'm not getting any younger. And so I'm constantly thinking like, are my fastest years behind me? What if 3.01.52? What if three hours and 49 seconds? What if that's the fastest I ever get to run 26.2 miles? And eventually I got to the point where I'm great if that's as fast as I ever get to run, because that's pretty fast. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Freedom Solar Power. When I first started looking into solar, I thought it would be a clunky and expensive process. I've learned it isn't nearly as hard as you think. Freedom Solar Power makes it simple. They provide a turnkey solution that is focused on educating their customers on the experience from installation to everyday use and savings. They ensure you have all the information needed to make sure going solar is right for you. From firsthand experience, it makes sense both financially and for the environment. With no down payment required, solar not only adds immediate value to your home, but it's also great for the environment and might even provide immediate savings, not to mention the year-end tax benefits, a credit of 26% this year. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida, and there are plenty of other great options nationwide. Thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. From their versatile session tops cut from a soft stretch knit to lane five and Reggie short tights perfect for racing a marathon, these pieces are built to work as hard as you do. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me, people who know that the best part of a busy day is squeezing in a workout. They offer products for training, racing, and rest days, which you know I'm a fan of, and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run will receive free shipping and 5% of the purchase amount will be donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help find a cure and support those living with Parkinson's. I'm really excited to introduce our newest podcast sponsor, Prevenex. Many of you may have heard of Prevenex and their joint health supplement, Joint Health Plus, which is a great joint health supplement that has become a go-to for many, many runners but I actually want to tell you about a completely different product that has had an amazing impact on my health. First, for those of you who don't know Prevenex, they make clinically effective supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health, and they donate vitamins to malnourished children with every order, which is really cool. Most importantly, and I can tell you this from firsthand experience, their products are awesome and flat out work. So for full transparency, I've struggled with GI issues for many years, which definitely has negatively impacted my running and health. I was diagnosed with IBS and have always had to go to the bathroom a bunch of times before getting out the door and hitting the trails of the road. I started taking Prevenex's probiotic a few months ago and my GI issues got so much better. I know I can't pin it on one change, but progress is progress. I was surprised, but when I took the probiotic with me on a visit to my sports dietitian, she wasn't. Prevenex's probiotic has 30 billion healthy bacteria per serving, six clinically proven bacteria strains that address six different areas of digestive health and a clinically proven prebiotic, which helps with the growth and colonization of healthy bacteria in the gut.
and welcome back. I have Mike Kafuzi here on the podcast, live from Boulder with two dogs in the house that have been really fun to, to navigate so far. So hopefully it goes well. Yeah, I, I think they'll be fine. The dogs are doing great. <laughs> so first question is a tough one. Who is Kafuzi? I'm basically just a dude that runs a lot. So, um, you know, there's more to it than that, but for like social media bio purposes, you know, that's, that's all I am. I'm not an elite runner. I'm not a pro. Uh, I just happen to have run a lot and, uh, sharing my experiences. Very cool. Do you remember your first run throwing it back a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I started running probably, I mean, my first time running in an organized way was in junior high school. So that was a long time ago, but I think even before that there was like, you know, like presidential fitness. So they'd take us all out and we'd go run a mile or they'd tell us it was a mile and you just go run around for a while. So that's probably some of the earliest running that I remember. Cool. And uh, that was a couple of years ago at this point. <laughs> and so why are you still doing it? Why are you still running? Um, I mean, I mean, getting different things out of it over the different kind of phases of my life. I've taken a lot of breaks from running because a lot of times running didn't love me or I didn't love running. And so it's just been an evolving relationship. When I was younger and starting out, it was just a team that didn't have any cuts and it was a way to have that kind of team sport experience. And it was fun to try lots of new events. I ran through high school and for a year in college at the D3 level, so nothing spectacular. But in college, it just seemed like a lot of work and I didn't feel like I was getting anything out of it. So I took a break from running. So I guess technically I still have some NCAA eligibility left. Um, and I took, I mean, it took me a while to get back to it. And so periodically here and there, I'd kind of try and get back into shape, use running to do that. And it didn't really stick until I became, you know, a much older adult. What was it that finally stuck or finally helped it to stick? I think it was a combination of things that kind of tend to resonate with me. And so you know, I ran a marathon in 2010. That was my first one. It was with my dad. Um, he was exactly twice my age at the time. And I did a couch to marathon and it was as terrible as that sounds. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, there's a reason why that's ill-advised because it just doesn't work out. After that experience, I took like a six-year break. And then a buddy of mine was like, hey, you used to run, right? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. He's like, let's sign up for this race. I was like, okay, it could be a good way to kind of spend some time uh, with, you know, as an adult, it's hard to kind of spend time with your friends a lot, especially now that we were older and kind of past the point where like going out on the weekends all night long, you know, was no longer quite as fun or feasible. And um, that got me hooked into it again. And there was that, plus there was social media, plus there was um, data analytics. So like all these different ways of kind of like, um, like checking the box every day or nearly every day, all those like little things that help keep me both accountable, but also help me keep track of things, helped make running not be a chore anymore. And I found myself finally really starting to like longer distance running. Very cool. The the transition from it not being a chore to something that's fun, I think is a lot of, is something that a lot of people seem to struggle with. And for me, it's reframing it as I have to do this training run or I have to do this long run and shifting it to I, I get to do this seems to be pretty powerful. Where did the, you mentioned the social media aspect, where did, where did that begin for you? I think once I found Strava. And so it wasn't so much that I wanted to necessarily 
build a large social media following at first. It was just something that was public that people could see that also I could maintain in a way that kind of just showed that I was, you know, building the wall brick by brick. And that is something that really resonates with my personality. So things that are kind of gamified are the kinds of things that I tend to like gravitate towards. Cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely a fun way to, to have, you know, other people along for the ride. And you've been chasing, were you, you were chasing sub three as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So where did, where did that come into the picture? That came in, I mean, like, it's not something that I'd even thought about myself because it seemed like a goal that was so far away and so very unattainable. And so I wanted to just qualify for Boston. And at the time I needed a 310. And my best time was, I think, a 314 or a 317 at the time. And, um, you know, I was struggling to just even get there. And then that was also like around the time where they uh, moved the standards again. And so it just felt really far away. And like under three hours didn't seem like something that was within my kind of like reach at all. So Which is a good reason to go for it, right? Well, it just, it was so far out of reach though, that it didn't even occur to me. Yeah. And so- Initially or, or when you started? At all, yeah. at all. And so like all I wanted to do was run however fast I needed to run to get into Boston. And for a long time, I thought that I would be one of those guys that could qualify for Boston, but maybe never ever get to run it because I wouldn't be far enough under the buffer. And so I found a nice downhill course to run and I ended up running, uh, I was shooting for a, you know, a 307, 308, and I ended up running closer to a 302. And at that point I was like, oh, what else is there out there? And personally, it didn't like really start out as a goal until um, then I was doing a lot of work with Nike and they were trying to set me up with a bib and getting ready for the Chicago marathon. And, uh, they set me up with a coach. Oh, there's like a bunch of kind of media people that were, were doing that. And at the beginning it was like, all right, what are your like audacious goals? And I was like, I don't know. I just <laughs> got my audacious goals. Yeah, so I don't yeah, even yeah. know where to go from here. And then the coach was like, you can go so much faster than what you've done already based on kind of like the training that I've seen you do. Cause she was like, tell me about what you've been doing. What are some of your goals? What have some of your workouts been? And I kind of gave her, you know, the synopsis of my Strava. And then she was like, you could be well under three hours. And I was like, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't, that doesn't even compute really. And so that kind of got me thinking like, oh, there's, there's more than just the BQ. There's more things that are out there. And so that would have been like 2019, I think, where I started thinking, all right, the BQ isn't the last goal for me. It's just one of many. And so that's when I started thinking about it. It's cool how you positioned it that way. It's not the last goal, right? Because you hit it and then what? I was just talking with a friend about this and driving her to the airport, it was Kat Bradley and she's won Western States. So like she's had, she has some, sense of like what it's like to, to win and, and win at the highest level. And we were talking about uh, her fiance, Carson asked, like, what are some of the commonalities that keep coming up in this podcast? I've done 220 of them now. And what I reflected on was the fact that the people who are, seem to be the most successful objectively are the ones who measure success in a subjective way. So they control it. They don't have an, an end goal and that's that. Win the Olympics, win the marathon, win the this. It's the goalposts are always moving in a good way. 
Because if, if it's, you know, break three hours, then what? Like I, I chased that for four years. And then when I, when I did it, I was like, okay, now what? But I had already gotten to a place where like, it wasn't breaking, breaking three wasn't the like barometer of, am I successful or not? It was, can I get to the start line and, and execute a good race? And then what happens and see what happens from there. And it's just so fascinating how we put these goals and we like, we hold them in a certain way. Another way we've talked about goals on this podcast has been like, it's like an egg and you can't squeeze it too hard. Otherwise it cracks, you got to keep it close to you. You got to think about it, but it's just a, it's just a guide. So the way you framed it there, sub three, it's one of the things you'll do. And then you'll find another, another thing to chase. Was that a tangible choice or was there like a, that's just sort of how you got to that? I, I got to there kind of a different way. So it took me five times to break three. And, you know, I came close a couple of times. Some couple, the first couple of cracks at it, I totally blew up and was nowhere near close. It ran worse than I'd ever run before. I ran a 401 while trying to break three. <laughs> so I feel you on that. Yeah. So I had some really bad attempts and I had some very close attempts. And I had already come to the point where I had to come to terms with the idea that, you know, I'm 42 and I'm not getting any younger. And so I'm constantly thinking like, are my fastest years behind me? What if 3.01.52? What if three hours and 49 seconds? What if that's the fastest I ever get to run 26.2 miles? And eventually I got to the point where I'm great if that's as fast as I ever get to run because that's pretty fast. And those were days where I was running maybe not the best execution, but a pretty good level of execution and races that I was proud of. So already I kind of had let it go, the idea that I would never get there. And I had to then think about like, well, then am I done here? Why am I still out here doing these workouts? Why am I still signing up for these races if I don't think I'll ever hit it? And the answer that I came to was, I just want to train well. I love training. I don't love racing all that much, but I would like to try and execute as well as I can on that given day. And whatever the number ends up being, that's what the number ends up being. Was that hard to get there? Not really, because I had no other choice but to get there. <laughs> it was either that or kind of like just, you know, give up running, switch sports, switch Maybe I start running shorter road races or longer trail races, whatever it is. It was either like come to terms with that or leave. And I wasn't ready to quite give up on road marathons yet. And so that was just something that was kind of like, you have to get through or over this obstacle to continue. It's so fascinating. And I imagine a lot of people listening are like, yep, that's me. I'm thinking of that as well. I don't want to like be as blunt as like it's looking at your own mortality but like it's looking at your own mortality in the sport right or your own lifespan in the sport and i imagine it's tough to tough to grapple with for a lot of people and i have a lot of friends who have been running for 20 years and they're starting to slow down they're like well now what and so i look at someone like mike wardy and i look at someone like camille heron who the goals or peter bromka even running as a master's athlete now I don't think it changed for him. I don't think it changed his perception of chasing the goal. It's just within a different lens. It's, it's so interesting though, because it's like, you never want to look back and be like, well, what if? And so the way you phrase it, you're in it to see how good you can get. You're in it to see what you can do. Anecdotally, like those are the people that end up the most successful. 
at least from my observations. Right. <laughs> so that's cool, right? Yeah, that's um, great to hear. I consider myself a, still a fairly new runner. I've been running for 10 years. I'm 32, almost 32. And I'm starting to see it, right? Like my body doesn't look like the way it did when I was 23 or 24. I don't recover like I do. And again, I'm 31. So it's like, it's, it's uh, um, I'm not sure what I'm getting at there, but I think it's something that, or it is something that we all face and we all have to, to rectify. You know, I think that it's very easy to see the things that are slipping away because those are kind of right in front of us. But I think the what's harder to be appreciative of is that, you know, you have 10 years of miles in your legs now. You have 10 years of knowledge of what your body does and doesn't respond to. And so I think that what we overvalue is what we're losing. We're losing that half step. We're losing that little bit of edge. We can't quite recover. We can't go out and party like we did and then still run the next morning like we used to. What is know? it saying? Youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's yeah. it's so fascinating to look at the trail world mm -hmm. where the two youngest people at Western States were 26 years old, but the majority of athletes are above 40 or 35 even. I think it's a sport where knowledge and experience is rewarded way more so than the marathon or the 5K or anything in between because you can't, continue at that level and distance without having failed a lot and overtrained and gone through burnout and questioned what the hell am I doing in the middle of a you know 30 mile run kind of a kind of a deal and I find these people so fascinating that I just came back from western states and yeah it's interesting to watch the top 10 men and women finish but it's so much more interesting to watch people who they're just doing it for themselves or for their, you know, with their crew. And a particularly interesting story was the woman who was the first uh, unofficial finisher or one of the only unofficial finishers. She finished in 30 hours and two minutes. So beyond the cutoff. And she posted on Instagram, apparently she has a um, cancer and she posted on Instagram. I don't have uh, data to suggest that running cures cancer, but I have even less data to suggest that it doesn't. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And it's so cool when, when you can get through all of these like life lessons and you're just doing it for you and you're just doing it. She wasn't doing it to, to win. She wasn't doing it to you know, win her age group. She was just doing it for completion and fueling her, her passion for life. And I guess I'm putting words into her mouth because mm -hmm. we've never <laughs> met, but um, I can only imagine you know, what, what was going through her head at 30 hours and two minutes. Yeah, I mean- I think we can all kind of relate to that though. If you've, if you've put on a bib and you've chased a goal, whether it's completion or a time, and if you haven't hit it, you felt that feeling of this is slipping away from me. And for me, what resonates in that idea of like missing it by two minutes is like those notions of not only like, oh, this training cycle has gone to waste and all this time has gone to waste, but you know, I've let all these people down who have supported me. So that's, I think, something that is very relatable. And that's why I think we're so intrigued by those kinds of stories is because we all know that story. Yeah. If you've run before. So one thing I find switching gears entirely, one thing I find uh, interesting is the number of shoes you wear yeah, <laughs> and yeah. talk about. Yeah. So can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. I mean, I just started reviewing shoes after a while. And um, well, I started out reviewing the shoes that I happened to have. And at the time that I was like the Pegasus 32. 
And I would run in one until I felt like it was dead. And then I would buy another one. And I was like, I really know about this shoe. So let's start making videos about that shoe. I was already making, like I was already on YouTube before I made running content. And I was trying to do daily vlog at the time because that's what people did back then. <laughs> and like, now it's becoming a thing again. Is it really? Uh, well, yeah. That's good for me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not daily, but, yeah. but regularly. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I still enjoyed the format, but, um, you know, I was daily vlogging. And when you're doing that, you're starved for content every single day. It's kind of like a news cycle where it's just like, all right, what are we going to talk about today? And so I started talking about like, I was literally like sitting in my living room, like what is within arm's reach that I could pick up and spend three, four minutes talking about in this six or seven minute daily vlog. And so what did that lead to? That led to a couple of more successful videos because the other videos that I've been making, I enjoyed. I don't frequently go back and look, but from time to time, I'll go back and look and they are cringeworthy, you know, as you know, all kind of art, if you want to call it art, should be when you go look back at it, I think. But um, those did a little bit better. And so, you know, I'm paying attention to it and I'm like, all right, people are watching this. I'm getting a little bit more response. And I was doing a lot of filming of my family and I didn't love always putting the camera in their face. I always took pictures of them all the time and stuff. My family, my extended family, things like that. But from a daily vlog perspective, making them characters and I have young kids, so making them characters in, in the channel wasn't something that I was 100% enthusiastic about. And so from a need to have content, whether it was about running or shoes, and also solving this other problem of like, you know, I have to spend this entire day filming, it was starting to interfere a little bit with my participating in the daily life because I was filming the daily life. Right. And so that kind of like was like, all right, let's pivot and start making running content and see where that goes. What, uh, what year was that? maybe 2017 or so. It's been so fascinating to watch the evolution of digital media in the running space where it was a lot of hobbyists for a while and it was a lot of blogging and talking about your run and you'd have between, you know, three and 3,000 people following it and maybe, maybe some more uh, for some people. And now that's migrated to Instagram and YouTube and podcasts. And I often ask myself, like, why do I post on Instagram every single day? Like, who cares? <laughs> but I continue to do it. And I, I have had this conversation with a handful of people and people just like following people's stories and they like seeing the, you know, what they think is the, the full story. So I'm curious, have you ever grappled with the, like, at least when you were vlogging daily, did you ever grapple with that? Like, why, why am I doing this? Yeah, and what the reason for me was I have always wanted, no matter what I was doing work-wise, I always wanted something completely different that was just a creative outlet. And so it's taken on a variety of forms over the years, whether it was writing or cooking or any of my other different interests, photography, things like that. And the current, like, or the latest kind of version of that was making these videos. And, you know, I talked about like, I like, you know, checking the box on Strava or seeing that activities calendar and seeing all the circles. Um, setting up a daily publishing routine was also something that I really enjoyed. And so there was something that I found rewarding about having a video out every day. Very cool. If you could go back and talk to the version of yourself at the starting line of your first marathon, what would you say? Slow down. <laughs> 
I, I would just went out too fast. Yeah. And I still go out too fast in all my races. And so, especially for marathons, slow down, take it easy. And then, I mean, that's the same advice I'd give myself for training for my first marathon or training for my second or third is just everything needs to slow down a bit. I was in a big hurry to rush everything and none of that helped. Why were you in a hurry? I just wanted to be at the level everyone else was at. I kind of wanted to at least be average and I definitely wasn't at the beginning. And so it was one of those things where I thought, if I'm going to be spending this much time doing this, I should be better at it. And so I was always trying to figure out like, you know, what are the best workouts to do to quickly increase your time? You know, what are all the tricks that you can use to hack your way into a better performance? So those are kind of the things that, you know, you're reading on online or you're watching those YouTube videos, trying to figure all that stuff out. And I mean, I learned a lot, but I don't think it helped in a lot of ways. And so like, I just needed to slow down and figure out what it was going to be that I needed to get to where I wanted to go. It's interesting. You said that you felt the need to be like everyone else. When I ran my first marathon, I felt the same way. My first marathon was a 335. I was like, man, that was slow. (laughs) And it was because I was in a community where everyone was running three hour marathons. And as I got further into running, I finally learned like, it just doesn't matter. Right. And that's the, that's the fascinating part about it. I think so many new runners get stuck in that need to belong, need to feel fast. Um, how did you rectify that? Or did you just get faster? Well, I got faster. So that was one thing. And I think another part of it was, you know, as kind of this latest kind of reunification with running happened, it was in a very public space, both on Strava, Instagram, on YouTube. And, you know, you end up getting a lot of negative comments along the way. And so a lot of times you try to brush it off and ignore it, but sometimes it really does cut to the bone because while the comments may be kind of wrapped in negativity and just a desire to be mean, sometimes there's still a nugget of truth in there that may not be real, but feels like it applies. And so those times where, you know, I'd get comments like, you know, someone that runs as many miles as you should be faster than that. I had to kind of come to terms with that and say, that's accurate. That's very true. And it took me a long time to wrap that around and say, and that's why I'm so happy that I can run what I can. Because the normal number of miles doesn't translate to the normal kinds of times for me. I have to work double hard because it's like I said, like sometimes running loves me and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I love running and sometimes I don't. You know, that was one of the ways where I felt like it felt unfair because I was like, I'm working hard. I am putting in the training miles. I'm reading up on all the techniques and I'm trying to do all the recovery, some things better than others. And yet I wasn't getting the results quite as quickly as someone that was on paper, the exact same as me, or maybe 10 years younger than me. And so those are some things that I had to kind of come to terms with fairly early on. It's, it's crazy how entitled people feel when it comes to unsolicited feedback or like <laughs> a public person is public. So I had, therefore I have a right to tell them my opinions. Has it been hard for you? I know you talked about some examples there and 
sort of being able to brush it under the rug, but also like it hits. But um, is that consistently something that, that comes up for you? It comes up a lot because everyone wants to be like a keyboard warrior. Everyone wants to like interact. And YouTube is one of those places where it's very much encouraged to just write something in the comments. Right. And I kind of break it down in kind of two ways when I receive a negative comment. One is, how old is this person? Because <laughs> it's very easy to internalize in my mind to say that the person writing this is a Child. fairly reasonable like person like me and knows a little bit about running and has analyzed all my Strava and come up with this super incisive <laughs> critique. Very what likely. I, but what I really think is a lot of the times it's just someone that's maybe a child and someone that like if a child, like if I was out there on a running like a public 5K, like a 5K road race. And like at the end, a kid was like, the ninth guy on my cross country team is faster than that. I'd be like, I'd come in ninth. That's great. <laughs> when I was your age, I only came in sixth on my own cross country <laughs> team. So like ninth or 10th as a 42 year old, pretty good for me, you know? <laughs> but if you see that same thing on online, especially when you don't know who the commenter is, it's very easy to think that it's a peer that's giving you that well-reasoned, well-researched um, critique. And I think a lot of times it isn't. Now, there are some people that I interact with over a lot of videos and I kind of have a sense of, okay, this is normally a normal person. And when the feedback comes in negatively there, then I'm like, oh, well, this guy, I do know this guy. Alvi has a lot to say about negative feedback. He doesn't like it. <laughs> this musical interlude brought to you by Alfie the dog. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Freedom Solar Power for supporting this episode of the podcast and our environment by providing an easy green energy source. The buying process was fascinating and eye-opening, and I am excited to pay my learnings forward. If you're curious about going solar in your home, message me on Twitter or Instagram, and I'd be happy to help your journey by providing some great resources. Freedom Solar is a full-service solar company that's been installing solar panels and backup power systems since 2007. They operate in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida. Not in any of those states? Don't fret, my parents have the same panels from SunPower that were installed by a different company in Massachusetts. SunPower is the best in the business and that's what Freedom Solar uses. I've enjoyed working with the whole team over at Freedom Solar and I'm sure you will too. Thanks again to Tracksmith for supporting the podcast and their continued support of not just this podcast, but the running community in general. I'm proud to partner with Tracksmith and they're going to donate 5% of your order to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders and you'll also get free shipping. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's, and I'm grateful of Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run, one word, will contribute towards this donation. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. Prevenex has amazing products that have benefit my health and the health of other runners that I know, which is why I'm so excited to introduce Prevenex to you as our newest sponsor. They also have a killer everyday immune supplement called Immune Health Plus that I've been taking and will tell you about in a future episode, but I highly, highly recommend you check these out and try the products for yourself. 
One of the best parts is that if you don't experience benefits on any product within 30 days, they have a no questions asked, 100% money back guarantee for a full refund. You have no risk and everything to gain here. Use code FTLR for 15% off your first purchase of any products at Prevenix.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. And I can't wait to hear about how these products are making a difference in creating health in your life. So I noticed you uh, you just turned your GoPro on as Alfie walked by. Um, and I'm curious about something you mentioned before, which was feeling the need to be present, but also capture content. It's a conversation I've had with a couple of people who they also, you know, some might call them influencers or content creators or however you want to demarcate it. Um, but the the consistent struggle between like being present and capturing content because it's your job. Um, curious your your relationship with that. Yeah, I try to make it as unobtrusive as possible. And so a lot of times when I set up the camera, like it's not the nicest camera that I own to grab the shot. It's whatever camera can be placed somewhere, turned on and kind of left alone. So that way I can still kind of be in the moment and it gets whatever it gets. And I'll look through it later. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, I got really good at kind of like a no look pass kind of thing. Yeah. So like you have to be able to do it without thinking about it. And the other thing about it is there are certain times where I just won't get the footage, right? A lot of times that's nighttime because people are out socializing. It's evening time. People don't always want to be recorded in that kind of situation, but also the lighting is also usually bad at night. So there's certain areas that I just won't record a lot. Or if I go running with my running buddy, you know, he's not like big into social media and it's just us chatting, you know? And a lot of times if I have the camera on, even though he knows I won't use any of that audio, it affects the conversation. And so when I'm running with him, I just don't film a lot. I'll still film like a clip or two, or maybe on my way over to run to meet him or running home from after running with him. You know, I'll film a couple of things that I might need for Instagram. Not need, but want to have on Instagram. So that's kind of how I try to balance it. If it's, you know, a close call, living the moment wins. Do you feel any pressure in that regard sometimes? I don't think so because I have a pretty good sense of kind of like what I need footage wise. And so like in the beginning, when I was first starting to introduce more running content, I didn't know what I needed yet to make the video that I was going to make. Or a lot of times it was like, I just got to film a bunch of stuff and I'll figure out what the video is later. And now that I've been doing it for a little bit longer, I know kind of like what I want to shoot. I can be much more intentional about that. And I don't have to worry about all the other stuff and I can put the camera down. What's your favorite part about all of it? I like telling stories. And this is a way that works for me for telling stories. I'm not a natural order, you know? So like, I don't want to be the center of attention at a party telling the joke that everyone like, ah, laughs at. You know, some people love that kind of limelight. That's not the kind of limelight I like. And the kind of storytelling that I like is this kind. And so it feels like it's, a lot of things have kind of fallen into place nicely in a way that makes me very happy with kind of the, whether you want to call it art or work or whatever it is that I'm putting out there, I'm happy with it and I enjoy making it. And I totally lost where that question <laughs> and answer was going, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with what I'm making. What do you think is the future um, for someone like yourself in, in the space? Yeah, I think that I try not to think too much about that. 
I like to focus on, you know, what do I enjoy making? What do people enjoy watching? And hopefully those things line up. They don't always line up. And again, if they're, if it's close, I'll pick the one that I enjoy more. And that would be making the content that I want to make. At what point did you take the leap to doing this, right? Like a lot of people probably wish that running could be their, their thing and how they can pay the bills and whatnot. Um, I imagine it wasn't always like that for you, right? Right. Well, I mean, a couple of things, the pandemic happened. That was kind of the big thing. So I had like a regular job as a small business owner and I had that job and I was doing this and I was very happy with having two things. Then the pandemic happened and I couldn't really do my real job. And so then it was more like, all right, we're going to shut that down and I'll spend more time at home with the kids. And then I'll also, when the kids are, well, they weren't at school at the time, but eventually when they get back into a school, then I'll spend time doing this kind of like in the times in between. Now it's gotten a little bit bigger than that. And so now I'm going on trips and doing work now in this kind of hobby space. And so like the lines are blurring, but you know, that really all kind of changed, not because I necessarily wanted it to, but just because the world changed. Yeah, it's fascinating what is possible now from the pandemic. I think a lot of running brands figured out that they needed to speak to their audience in different ways. And it enables a lot of other things to happen, right? This podcast exploded at the start of the pandemic. When races were canceled, brands were like, we got to talk to people somehow. And they turned to digital media. And when they turned to digital media, they realized this is the way of the future. Like this is, this is how we do it. It's measurable, it's impactful and can be scalable. So, so it's become a, you know, I sit on both sides of the equation on the brand side and I guess the creator side and um, it works. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it kind of accelerated a direction where yeah. things were going to go and maybe forced people's hands. Like it forced my hand a little bit as well. Was that scary? Uh, no, it was very natural. I mean, even in my work, I had gotten to the point where, you know, I was thinking a lot about how do I get out of the day-to-day of that business and let the people that I've hired do things that are new and exciting for them. What was the business? It was litigation consulting. Mm -hmm. So we worked a lot with lawyers and courtrooms. And in a nutshell, my job was to, I focused on the presentation side at trials and it was to make real life trials look as much like a TV trial as possible. So, I mean, going back to like the daily vlogging, a lot of that was, you know, my work was very deadline oriented. And um, so like the work that I kind of found for myself also fit into those natural tendencies of, I like a fast turnaround. Um, But a lot of it was, you know, I was also looking for a way to get better at the art of storytelling in visual formats. And so that's what that job was. And the things that were, no longer as exciting for me in that work were really exciting for some of my newer people. And so like, all right, let's give them as much of this work as possible. And I need to step back out more. And I eventually thought that I would just kind of be like the silent partner that shows up every once in a while while staying home more, doing more running YouTube because I enjoyed those things. And then I just kind of got shoved in a direction with the way everything changed. Looking back on it, would you do it differently if if you had a, a second chance? I would have made changes sooner. I love when people say that. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's not so much that like, yeah, I should have invested more in like my social media accounts sooner. It's, I should have made the changes that would have made my family life easier sooner. Cause I was balancing full-time work schedule with some pretty high intensity deadlines and some high intensity stakes. And then a lot of running YouTube, which took a lot of time and also balancing trying to be a, a good dad and husband. And like, there was a lot of tension pulling in different directions. And I felt like I wasn't giving my full attention to family and also to work. Cause I was really excited about this new thing. And so I wish I had made some more concrete decisions earlier on rather than constantly saying, oh, well, I'll just sleep a little bit less or all right, once I get through this hump, then I will dedicate more time in this other arena. That was a lot of kind of, it was like a time Ponzi scheme after a while. And, you know, I was getting tired. My family was getting tired and I wish I would have solved that problem or at least recognized that problem a little bit sooner. What would, what would you say to somebody who might be in that right now? I mean, I think that there's a couple of ways to look at it. One is that, you know, there's certainly that concept of like work-life balance and everyone thinks that it should be like, you know, you work a little, you play a little, you have family time a little, and it doesn't always work out like that. Sometimes you have to spend a lot of time and attention on work. Sometimes you have to spend a lot of time and attention on family and you might have to shift things a little bit and that's okay. And I think that's healthy, but sometimes when it's like, you know, you're burning the candle at both ends, at a certain point, you're going to run out of wax and you got to figure out what that point is for you and just really be aware of like, am I here when it's family time? Am I here when it's work time? Am I there? And if you find yourself that you're not a lot of the time or you're unhappy with the way you're showing up in those places, those are really good signs. There either can be growing pains or they can be forks in the road. And you don't need to understand right away which it is, but you should look to be aware that you're at a decision point. And that's what I would say to people that are trying to balance these things. What did your family think along the way? Um, well, I mean, I think earlier on, once it started to, like once the YouTube channel started to take on a little bit more of a life of its own, I think they saw it as like, oh, this is this thing that daddy really likes or that you know my husband really likes and he's having fun with it and it's getting some traction. And overall it's making him happy because he always has liked to have this kind of whatever it is, but a creative outlet. And then I think uh, later on when it became more than just a creative outlet, that's when I think that there was some tension there. And, you know, there was some kind of tough times in terms of like things weren't always going well at home and whether it was my family members feeling that or whether it was me feeling that. And so it was always kind of like, all right, just got to get through this week, just got to get through this month and then things will be better. And, you know, sometimes that was true and sometimes it wasn't. And so there was a lot of kind of, as the pandemic hit and my work kind of shut down, a lot of thinking about like, all right, what do we do now that like that one of the three main things that has been taken up my time is gone. How much happier am I now? How much more relaxed are we all now? And how much, even though like the world was falling apart, you know, how much more kind of calm was the house? And there was just a lot more of it. And so that kind of gave me like very 
positive indicators that like, you know, kind of retiring from my regular job was a really good move. What's the, what's the 10,000 foot takeaway there? You need less than you think, but the things you need, you really need. And you have to figure out which is which. I think that's the, the big takeaway for me. And I, will, I, will always, I got it confused a lot. I kept wanting to hold on to this job because there was a lot of ego there. I still was having fun doing it. There was a lot of things professionally that I wanted to accomplish that I didn't. But at the end of the day, it was realizing that I wanted to focus on what's the way to maximize everyone in my family's happiness. And if that means I'm spending more time doing laundry, dishes, picking up the kids from school. I do love picking up the kids from school, but like doing those things rather than wearing a nice suit and consulting with high-powered attorneys on these really big cases, helping them with strategy. You know, I could leave that because I liked when we had family time, it was family time, not family time. And also we're going to pick up a couple of things on the way home because we haven't been to the grocery store in, <laughs> in, in a long time, you know? So just kind of freeing up my bandwidth allows for a multiple time return in terms of how our family gets to enjoy time with each other. It's so fascinating. And it, was short, it, it wasn't forced upon you, but there were extenuating circumstances that illustrated what was going on. And I, I've seen this a bunch of times with the pandemic. Um, I mean, when, when you go from working in an office to working at home and you realize like you could be working 12 hours a day and still have more to do, like you have to draw that line somewhere and to be able to draw it decisively is important. It's something I struggle with frequently between having a full-time job, podcast, running and family and relationships. And I don't think anyone's had it figured out, but it's, it's the kind of thing that like, I think just hearing the, the experience of others is relatable for a lot of people. And it gives that, okay, I'm not alone in this. And that's one of my favorite things with this podcast. Every time I have a conversation like this, whether it's about what we're talking about or depression or um, imposter syndrome or whatever, people are like, oh, me too. Yeah. I think that a lot of these things are kind of tensions that we all face because we all have a finite amount of time and we want to know how can we best spend that time. And I know that I'm really lucky because in my family, we've never relied on me to be the primary breadwinner. And so like all of my pursuits haven't been frivolous, but it's like, if it doesn't work out for me, it's not like then we're going to worry about the mortgage. And so that is a freedom that my wife has given me that has been, you know, priceless for me. I mean, I guess there's a price on it, but I mean, um, it's been- Pun intended. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a, something that gives me a lot of uh, freedom to make these kinds of decisions. And so like, I don't want anyone that's like, well, I can't make that same decision to feel like they're doing something wrong or that they're shortchanging their family. Because I know that there's a lot of people that have to have two working parents just to make the ends meet. And so I'm not saying that everyone needs to quit their job and become a run bum <laughs> like I am. But I think that what's important is to just make sure you're with what the resources you do have, time-wise, money-wise, that you're really spending them on the things that you want to be spending them on. Completely agree. Uh, so on a lighter note, what, what brought you out to Boulder? Uh, I came to Denver with uh, a project that I'm working on with ASICS. 
So they're a sponsor of the World Athletics Championships. And this year it's in Eugene. They're pretty excited about it. So they want to have community events across the country to help promote it and also to connect with uh, local runners. And so there was an event in Denver on Wednesday. So I came in here for that. And I was going to go home right away because I have another trip. I'm leaving from here to Mammoth. But instead of going home first, I just said, let's just stay here. And I get to go run a bunch of places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would have had to connect probably through Denver anyway. So, um, you know, I was like, I'll just stay here and then I'll go from there. And so that's why I've been here for a longer time. A lot of my trips are a lot shorter than this, but it's been really great to be here because there's so much to see, to do. And there's so many people that are based in this area. So it's been pretty amazing. And you ran mags. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like sweating now, just thinking about it. What what was it like? Um, I mean, I live at 600 feet and most of my runs, I might get like 25 to 50 feet of gain in like 10 miles. So like it was- Coming from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So it was difficult on a lot of levels, but I wasn't quite ready for how long the hills were going to be. I knew it would be hilly, but I didn't think that they would be quite as steep or quite as sustained. And so that was a little bit of a surprise, but I had good company and great scenery to kind of distract me. And I was just like, look, I just ran my marathon. So like, I don't have another race coming up. So like, if I am running a little bit harder than I should be on a Thursday, that's okay. It's so deceptive though, because you start out with the like first mile and (laughs) a quarter or so downhill, and then it just punches you in the teeth. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fun. (laughs) The first time I ran it, I was like six miles in and uh, my buddy I was running with was like, you should probably puke <laughs> in your first mags. Okay. And I did. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I didn't throw up. So maybe that's, like, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I'm not sure either, but it was definitely bad when I did it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a run that, you know, you, I can only do it once every few months. <laughs> and I live at 5,200 feet. Yeah. Um, but it's that kind of hurt that it, I mean, it's like classic type two fun. It's not fun <laughs> in the moment for sure. The views are incredible. Do you see any yaks? I don't know what animal we saw. I'm not that good with animals, but it was large, furry, and had horns. That's a yak, so, I believe. Yeah. Okay. There's like a farm that as you're going out, yeah. it's on the left and yeah, it's big yeah. open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I had never seen a yak until um until that spot. And then six miles later, I yaked myself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we so we saw another runner and he's he warned us that he thought there might be a moose also on the on the road and to just watch out. And so, but we never saw the moose. Nice. And what, what are some of the other runs you've done out here? I got to run out in Boulder. Just, I don't know what the mountains are called out here, but just really close to here. Flat irons, yeah. Um, not quite the flat irons. I think we were north of there by a little bit. And then I also ran another trail, the Batasso Trail. I think that's what it's called. Yep. And then this morning I went down to Waterton Canyon to run that. And that was nice. There was so many people there. I was shocked. I've never, I mean, I've seen lots of people along the lakefront in Chicago before, especially in the summer, people getting ready for the marathon. But like, just like a random Saturday, there was a lot of cyclists, hikers, runners, families. It was amazing. It was really good to see. It's so cool that it's like such a way of life here. You don't come here unless you like the outdoors. And I think it brings a, a special kind of person here. Um, 
Well, that's awesome. And you ran with Ryan Van Duzer? Yeah. So we ran in the hills behind his house, basically. Cool. So, so the Wonderland area. I don't know if yeah, you say yeah, so. Yeah. I'm not sure. I just, he was like, come to my house and we'll run. I was like, okay. Nice. And then we ran around for like an hour and a half. Cool. I haven't met him yet, but we're going on a bike ride on Monday. Oh yeah. Well, he's leaving Tuesday. Right. Yeah. yeah he's going so, on a long bike ride yeah, yeah, on yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. So you can squeeze it in right yep, in time. Yeah. We're going to ride up to, uh, up to Gold Hill for the 4th of July, oh, which is like fun. a 12 miles up and you gain like 4,000 feet, which is a oh, lot. That's wild. <laughs> and it turns to dirt. And okay. I haven't done it without walking yet. So okay. Okay. Should be fun. Um, a question I like to ask, I guess we can maybe wrap with this one before the dogs get rowdy again. Um, but I think uh, Alfie just needed his his spot. I was in his seat. Yeah. We didn't realize yeah. that. Well, it was a shame it took me that long <laughs> to think of that. But um, fast forward 10 years, what are you really proud of? Proud of my kids and my relationship with my wife. Those are the things that I always try to work on a lot. Um, I think that kind of like what running teaches me, and I don't, I don't want to be too trite about it in terms of like running has taught me all these life lessons. But one that it does kind of point in your face is that like time passes and it's very finite. And so I want to make sure that, you know, I have a relationship with my kids as they're growing up that they'll look fondly back on when they're adults. And same thing with my relationship with my wife, you know, like it will change over the years because people change, but I always want it to be something that is cherished. Uh, especially, you know, looking in hindsight as well. So that's the main thing that I hope for is that if those relationships are strong, I think everything else will figure itself out. And it's not kind of like, well, this is the crux point. And if I figure that out, then all my other successes will be there. All the other things can fall apart. But if I have those, then I will feel like a very happy man. There's a song by, I think it's Marin Morris. When the bones are good, the rest don't matter. Okay. And that's, yeah. that's exactly what, I think it was talking about a house or a okay. body, but I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, you have the core, you have the things that matter. I think it's a nice, uh, it's a nice reminder. Uh, for those that, that don't follow you yet, uh, where can we find you on your corner of the internet? Yeah, I'm on YouTube as Kofuzi and then I'm Kofuzi on Instagram as well. Those are the two main places where I post stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. It was a little longer than normal <laughs> for an hour podcast, but uh, we, we have two sleeping dogs here now. So we, we did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And you know, like uh, I miss my dog. So having some dogs around is really good for me. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 